0: to be covering Leviticus 8 and following today. Uh, But I want to run into it a little bit by backing up to Exodus chapter 29. Because here we have, essentially, the the things that we're talking about today in Leviticus becoming a reality, where they actually kick off all this uh, tabernacle sacrifice in the priesthood. We have it anticipated and promised in Exodus chapter 29, beginning in verse number 38, as God is speaking to Moses, giving him all the instructions on uh, sacrifices, on the tabernacle, on how to make the furniture, and all that kind of stuff. In uh, Exodus uh, 29, did I say 30? 29 verse 38 is where we are. He says this, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. So this is the normal temple or tabernacle sacrifice that was happening regardless of whether individuals had sacrifices. This is just what the priesthood would have been doing on a day-by-day, routine basis. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there." Um, Continue on, verse 43, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, or Yahweh, their God. So you have this promised, institute these sacrifices, do this routine thing, and what's going to happen? I will meet you there. I'm going to be there. I will speak to you uh, through this uh, tabernacle. Um, I will be in your midst, and and, uh, my glory will be there, and it will be a sanctified holy thing. It shall be sanctified by my glory. And this tent of meeting is supposed to be consecrated or dedicated, set apart for me. And Aaron and, the, and, and his sons are to be uh, set apart, consecrated for me. And I will dwell there. I'm going to be in your midst. And then, and then what? You'll know that I am the Lord your God. So it, it had to do with, with uh, God is, is just condescending to people. What is man that... that uh, God would dwell among man, that he would dwell among this nation. This is a a marvelous grace that God would do this. Um, But in so doing, what? they, They are exposed to who God is. They know who he is. They see his glory made manifest in, whether it be that radiant presence or whether it be the reminders of what it required for them to approach God and for God to dwell in their midst. He's constantly being exposed and revealed as holy as he's among them. I am the Lord their God. So this has this this revelatory aspect to it where they're seeing God, to some degree, for who he really is. Not totally, or they would have all been blinded, but, but to some degree, they're being exposed to the reality of, of God and his glory and his presence. I am the Lord, their God. So he's uh, identified as a particular God. It's not a, a vague deity who's somewhere around. It is Yahweh. He's there. And we approach him by means of what he's provided in this tabernacle system. So to Leviticus then. Leviticus chapter 8. And let's read verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bowl of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread,' and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All right, you have this repeated phrase here. Well, our first section, I should say, is that the, the, the priests are going to be consecrated. Here in, in uh, chapter 8, basically, all has to deal with the consecration of the Aaronic priesthood, not the Ironic priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood as in Aaron and his sons. (laughs) There is some irony when we get to chapter 10, but uh, this is the Aaronic priesthood. They're going to be consecrated to the Lord. So what happens? Um, The whole congregation is supposed to assemble, so it's this national event to set apart this tribe and this particular family to serve this mediatorial role to be between them and God in in the tabernacle sacrifice. And if I slip and say temple, understand it was a temple later, but I, I, I feel myself almost doing that. Um, so to, the, they're to mediate in this tabernacle ministry, um, and so they're going to be consecrated to the Lord. The whole nation's going to be gather, gathered, and so Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and you have this like a drumbeat all through this chapter is that they did as the Lord commanded them. They did as the Lord commanded them. Do as I command you. Hey, we got to do what the Lord commanded us, a uh, phraseology like that just repeated over and over and over in these chapters Moses did as the Lord commanded him and we're going to have a twist when we get to the beginning of chapter 10 when it all gets flipped okay but through 8 and 9 it's they're doing what the Lord commanded them to do so Aaron and his sons Aaron had four named sons that we uh, know of in scripture Nadab who's the oldest and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, and they're all going to play a, a role in these uh, in these chapters. Um, Aaron, Mo- Aaron's Moses' brother. Remember that. There's Miriam and then Aaron and then uh, Moses. So Aaron is Moses' older brother. He's been um, a mouthpiece throughout the Exodus situation where Moses was timid to speak. So Aaron spoke on his behalf, and now Aaron. Um, is to become the high priest. Aaron was also the one who made the, the calf, the golden calf to worship God. Oh no, they threw gold in there and a calf came out. Yeah, right, Aaron. You, he, he was a, a flawed person, but God chose to use Aaron and his sons to be the, the high priest, sort of the, uh, to, to, go, to lead point on the Levitical priesthood. And the high priest had a a particular role, while the rest of the Levites had a more broad general role in the tabernacle uh, sacrifices. It's interesting because um, uh, their Aaronic priesthood and the high priest is this family line thing where the son takes up after his father. It has this uh, sort of dynasty where one secedes another. And Moses uh, did not initiate a leadership dynasty in his leadership role. It's not as though Moses' son took up the staff after him. Actually, it was uh, Joshua. Joshua is totally unrelated. He's an Ephraimite, not a, a Levite. Um, and after Joshua, uh, it, it all descends into chaos, and there's just sort of various judges popping up to lead the nation of Israel. There's no president or king or someone like Moses in a, in a, a line of authority but Aaron does have this line of authority. Um, if Moses did exemplify sort of a class of people, it would probably be the prophets, in that God did say that he would raise up prophets like Moses, in particular a special prophet one day. But, but there is sort of a, uh, a chain of, of prophets who would um, serve as mouthpieces for God like Moses did. Uh, so he sort of exemplifies the prophetic class, and he also is sort of like the, the top of the prophetic class. Scripture tells us that there's no other prophet like Moses, because he spoke to, to God face to face, like a friend speaks to a friend. And so the other prophets sort of follow in his footsteps, but, but it's a different kind of secession. Aaron does have this secession of these high priests, and I don't... Um, <coughs> I, I think it's because they were supposed to see that they were under the authority of God, because that's what happens when they ask for a king, is he goes, you're not recognizing that God is your king, okay? And so they, were, they, they, they didn't have a political head like Moses. Um, they had leaders sort of like the prophets, or like the judges, but they didn't have this, this primary political head, like Moses, because they were just supposed to be following the Lord. Meanwhile, Aaron, although you might see the high priest says, wow, that's a super leadership role, really it's a mediatorial one where he's a sinner working on behalf of other sinners so that they could approach to God. And so it wasn't the sort of role where uh, a person... That I'm sure they, they could and they did abuse the office, but it wasn't one where they were sitting on a throne going, thus says you know, the, the king. It was just tabernacle-slash-temple uh, ministry where they worked between the people and, and God. And so, so Aaron has this secession who would follow in his footsteps, namely his sons, and one of the sons would be chosen to be the high priest, and then it would descend on from there in the Aaronic line. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, OK, so Moses is supposed to take these clothes that were described in, in Exodus to be the priestly garments. He's supposed to anoint and consecrate the priestly class. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. Again, that comes up about 12 times in these chapters. For this whole procedure of consecrating the priests, Moses takes the lead, and then once the priests are consecrated, then they're the ones who take the lead. In, in the tabernacle sacrifices. Aaron takes these garments here that are described in verses five and onward. Um, and uh, the, some of the notable garments that he would have put uh, on Aaron uh, included this ephod, which is not a garment that we wear typically. I don't have an ephod in my closet. But it was, <laughs> it was a garment that went over their shoulders on both sides. And the high priest's ephod had a stone on each shoulder, and each of the stones had six of the 12 tribes. So all 12 tribes were represented on these these two stones. And in Exodus 28, those stones are described as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So he's representative of the whole nation. Uh, he's so much of a representative, he has their names carved on stones on his, on his shoulders. He's going before the Lord as, as the people of Israel. He's, he's mediating, going between God and the people of Israel, between God and the 12 tribes. And then Aaron had this breastplate, uh, which uh, again is a thing that, that uh, hung over his shoulders, but then would have been right in front of him, like kind of like you think of as a, as a breastplate. Uh, but it had, it had 12 stones as well, again, indicative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were all different types of stones. There were four rows of, of three, one stone for each tribe. And Exodus 28 again says that, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastplate of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So again, he's representing the children of Israel with this breastplate and these stones that represented each tribe. And it seems like there's a couple things um, that God draws attention to here. One is that it was at Aaron's heart, and the other is is that it was... uh, a breastplate of judgment. And so in his sacrifices and atonement and all those things that would have represented sin and the fact that it needed to be recognized and dealt with, here he is symbolically representing all of the 12 tribes as he goes about that ministry. And then he had the Urim and the Thummim, which is again... uh, Strange to us, you know, some of the things like socks, we go, oh, we know what those are. But but um, urim and thummim, what are what are those? And those were uh, these two objects. It actually might have been more than two objects because urim and thummim themselves are plural words. So it was maybe more than two objects that were apparently used for for casting lots, and and they could use them to discern God's will in different matters. And we don't know by what mechanism. Uh, they did that, but it was a, a, a lot system, and uh, the, the casting of lots is of, of the Lord, and so uh, the, the priest would discern God's will in certain matters using the urim and the thummim. When I say that urim and thummim are, are plurals, it's sort of like if I said you have jacks and balls. You wouldn't say like, oh, a jack and a ball. You would, you would see them as plural things, and urim and thummim, are plural words like that. So we don't know what kind of of, uh, objects they were exactly, but they're described in Scripture as a way that the high priest could discern God's will by means of the Urim and Thummim. Um, Let's go to chapter 8, verse number 10. Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So here we have the, the consecration with anointing oil of the whole shebang. The whole tabernacle, all of the furniture of the tabernacle, all of the, uh, the the altar had to be anointed, and it's anointed seven times. The various utensils that would have been used for, whether it be managing the fire or dealing with all the, the meat or uh, the different plates and platters and things like that. The basins, all of it is, is consecrated uh, with oil. And then Aaron and his sons are also... Uh, consecrated, and then washed with water. Uh, uh, well, they're washed beforehand, but all of them are anointed with oil, okay? So consecrated is to be set apart or to be holy, um, and it's, it, it, the procedure is you're taking something that's common, and now you're making it something that's consecrated to the Lord. Because, for example, you take the altar. What is it? Well, it's a, a bronze altar. Where did all that bronze come from? Well, the people donated it to build it. So they had a bronze axe head, and they decided to, to contribute it to the Lord, and they manufactured it and built this big uh, altar. It's these common everyday things, but now it's been dedicated to the Lord and set apart as holy to Him. So something is being taken from common to being um, honorable, set apart, consecrated to the Lord. And all of these things, as part of the the cloth that was woven into the veil, well, it was just something that the people had, something among their possessions that they donated to the Lord, and now, it, and now it's consecrated, now it's dedicated to the Lord. And the priesthood itself was taken out from among the people and set apart over here and anointed with oil, and now this, this priesthood, these, these men are to the Lord, they're to serve His purposes. We have um, New Testament parallels in that, too, in that, uh, for example, in Second Timothy, Paul says that if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And that's both encouraging and challenging to believers, because on the one hand, it's encouraging, because you can be average person, but God use you over here for consecrated holy purposes to worship and to uh, serve him. So a common person can be uncommonly sanctified, set apart to the Lord. Um, And it's also a challenge in that we have that high calling, right? To be used for honorable purposes and to remember that we are set apart as holy to the Lord and that we want to be useful to the Master, So so God is providing these ways for these common things to serve his purposes. As we go on, we have all these offerings that took place. There was these three sacrifices that took place in consecrating the priests, (coughs) in appointing and initiating the priesthood. First of all, there was a sin offering, and we're not going to read the whole passage, but we've we've covered some of these offerings, or really um, all of them before. So there was a sin offering. They took a bowl. They took the fatty parts. They sacrificed it just like they were supposed to, as we've talked about in the last couple weeks. And then they burned the rest of it outside the camp. Um, Aaron and his sons first laid their hands on on the sacrifices. Their sins were being atoned for. So you have, again, a sinful priesthood that needed their sins atoned for, this glorious provision that God would provide a priesthood, but also the recognition that this isn't the perfect priesthood. Like, we got to have a better one sometime, because this one is, is good, but not, not sufficient. It's not completely doing the job. This is a sinful priesthood, who they have to have sacrifices made for themselves. And we know that this sinful priesthood, this sinful Aaronic priesthood, is going to be, be trumped by Christ, who was, a perf- who, who was and who is a perfect priest. Um, so the blood of the of the sin offering was applied to the horns of the altar. Um, it even tells us that the altar by this blood was purified, and that it was atoned for. And all this happened as the Lord commanded Moses. And then there was a burnt offering. It was a ram. It was all burned up. And that burnt offering, what was it? Well, we already talked about it, and here it comes out again. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I think this is really cool because... A couple chapters earlier, you had God say, hey, if you offer a burnt offering to me, it will be acceptable to me. Whoa, we can offer a sacrifice that's actually acceptable to the Lord? And then you have them actually do it, and it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's sort of the tenses of the words, that they, they, they offered this burnt offering, and it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. God actually accepted it as he promised he would. It was actually pleasing to him. And then they had an ordination offering, which was another ram that was sacrificed. And the blood of that ram was put on the, the ear of the priest and on, on his thumb and on his toe, probably demonstrating that the whole priest, uh, head to toe, if you will, was the Lord's. was purified and, and dedicated, consecrated to the Lord's service. And then at the end of chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 31... We see that Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. Skip down to verse 33. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. It will take seven days. Skip down to verse 36. Verse 36. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. So Aaron and his sons are supposed to be there at the entrance of the tent for seven days, which they do, just what the Lord commanded them to do. We come to verse 9, and this is the eighth day. So we're just, the story's just flowing right along, okay? So here we are on the eighth day, and now there's supposed to be sacrifices made for the people to initiate the, the rhythm of the sacrifices in the tabernacle. So the people all regather on the eighth day with these sacrifices that that God had instructed them to do. And why are they supposed to do it? Verse four, the end of the verse, today the Lord will appear to you. Okay, big day. (laughs) I can't imagine. Like, I remember growing up, if we were gonna go skiing the next day, like I didn't sleep all night so we're going to go skiing tomorrow. It would be better if I rested, but we're skiing tomorrow. Okay? Uh, I can't imagine having God say, uh, tomorrow I'm going to appear to you. Whoa. (laughs) I wonder how many of them slept that night. Uh, Whether for fear or for excitement, you can take your pick as to which emotion (laughs) it might have been. Maybe, Maybe both. I would say a little of both. Maybe a lot of both. I don't know. But... God's going to appear to them, okay? Big deal. This is a really big deal. And when you get to the end of the chapter, God's going to knock their socks off. Uh, This is a really, really, really big deal. Um, Today the Lord will appear to you. So they all draw near. Verse number six, Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do. There it is again. That the glory of the Lord may appear to you. All right. So this is like a fearful but gracious thing. God's going to be there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you go to the mountain, we're going to die if we do. Okay? So, yeah, this that's that's the background that makes this dramatic. Is is that he was on the mountain over there and it was terrifying, but then he goes, "Here's this provision and here's how you're supposed to do it. You do what I command and I'll show up here." Okay, so this is a big deal that the God over there, in lightning, is gonna condescend to be among his among his people. Um, so yeah, I think you make a good point to remind us that this is what happened a couple months ago, right? Mm-hmm. And Moses comes down like, oh, ah, and they can't even look at him because he was, was in the presence of God. <clears throat> um, verse number seven. Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering. Make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So again, atonement has to be made for Aaron, and then atonement has to be made for the people. So now that Aaron has been ordained in chapter 8, he's now the one who oversees the offerings that are taking place for himself and for the people here in chapter, chapter 9. And the description, I'll just summarize it. They had a sin offering that was a calf, and it was a sin offering for Aaron, then they had a burnt offering. It was a ram. It was a burnt offering for Aaron. And then um, Aaron offers a sin offering. This time it's a goat. And this time this is on behalf of the people. And then there was a burnt offering, a calf and a lamb for the people. And then there was a grain offering for the people. And then there was a peace offering or fellowship offering, which was an ox and a ram there in verses 18 and following. That was for the people all of this took place verse 21 the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded good everything's working out well so far then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them this is most likely the the blessing that we read in in numbers chapter 6 where where God told Moses to speak this blessing or no God told God told Moses to tell Aaron to speak this blessing um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God says, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So that's probably the, the, uh, the blessing that Moses was to uh, speak over the people, um, encourage them with God's presence, with his blessing, and his name would be, on them, and God would bless them uh, so so Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people, blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, uh, they blessed the people, and then what happens? the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. No joke. <laughs> okay. So the, the glory of God that had been on this mountain, that they dared not even touch it, like, build a fence, because we don't even want to touch it. Now it appears to all of them and is in their presence, um, anybody who's, a, who's come near to this sort of experience with God has been a pretty narrow community up to this point. Moses and Aaron have spoken to God. Um, he At one point, uh, God a- appeared to uh, a bunch of the leaders in Exodus in a, in a really strange one. Like, I think it describes him like, walking on, on coals or something like that. I should have looked it up. Anyway, there's been, there's been a category of people who've had some experiences with the glory of God. But now he appears to all of them in their midst, Fire comes out and consumes uh, the offering, which, which what, uh, you have God coming down um, to these, these furniture elements that used to be common, now they're clean, and God can be there. Now they're consecrated to him, and, and he can be there, and, and it consumes the burnt offerings, and so what, it actually is acceptable to him. It, it pleases him. They'd done what, what uh, God had commanded, and this is all pleasing and acceptable. So, so the assertion that's acceptable to me is now just like visually displayed where the fire from God literally comes down and consumes it up, and it's, it's acceptable to him. And they shout and fall on their faces. Whew, okay? <coughs> so <clears throat> they respond with appropriate awe, to the glory of God in their presence. Um, except they had sacrifices before this, so yeah, I'm not. Sh- I, I I understand what you're saying, but but I don't think it was as though they could only use heaven fire. Um, but but uh, God is is demonstrating His acceptance of what's going on and His real presence there. Were you gonna say, Mike? Yeah. Yep. They're on uh, on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebrews chapter twelve. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Two th- two things can be true. They're both in Hebrews you can boldly approach the throne of grace, and God is a consuming fire worthy of being worshiped with reverence and, and awe. Uh, both those things can be, uh, both those things are true for those of us who are, are believers. Um, we can come near, but we don't trifle with God either. Uh, immediately, and it's kind of a shame, this is chapter 10, or that there's even a space between the chapters because this just run this just the story just keeps flowing all right what happens okay they fell on their faces now Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them we got a twist okay then over and over and over and over, they're doing it as the Lord commanded. Moses, hey, this is what the Lord commanded. They did as the Lord commanded. And then Nadab and Abihu come. They offer this unauthorized fire, which he had not commanded them. What happens? Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Chapter 10 just immediately reinforces that God can only be approached in the way that he has provided, and in the way that he has prescribed. It reminds me how, uh, of, of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, where at the very beginning of the church you have this dramatic demonstration of don't mess with God and lie to him. Ananias and Sapphira are knocked dead. And here, here with this tabernacle, one verse, you have fire coming down from heaven and accepting their sacrifice and consuming the burnt offering. And then... Uh, the, the very next verse, the fire comes down and consumes their unauthorized uh, worship, their unauthorized fire. Uh, so we're right away provided with this example that God can only be approached in the way that he provides, and that God takes this sin really, really seriously. Um, they offered strange fire, which the Lord had not commanded him. So the submission to God's will has been broken. They disobeyed and they paid the price for it. There aren't a lot of details about the exact nature of their sin, but it seems that they both had the wrong kind of fire that wasn't from the altar, um, or their incense wasn't the right recipe uh, that God had mandated. And with that strange fire, they dared to approach God's presence with that sort of an offering. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed, which is the exact phrase that we just read about about how the sacrifices were consumed there in chapter nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes, yeah <laughs> yeah, that yeah, mhm yeah the the uh-huh, yeah, we don't know how he operates now, like with the Lord's table, where people were dying, we don't really. We can't go oh yeah, you remember Joe that happened to him. Like we don't really have those sort of examples. Uh but like Pastor Matt emphasizes it might just be a matter of his patience, but it, it will come due. Um you you look like you want to say something. I'm just of, I'm just yeah. But it does put weight to what oh, in Galatians. preach another, another gospel. Let him be a Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Right. Because this was their approach to God. This is their gospel, if if you will, a, a parallel on how they can have God among them. And, and they did it another way. Instantly consumed, right? It had to be on his terms. Um, so yeah, the the one minute, and again, it's like such a shame we have a chapter break here. Just erase it. <laughs> one minute you have this, this fire coming down and it's this marvel that God is coming down among his people. How marvelous but gracious. Here he is accepting their sacrifices. And the next verse that fire consumes in judgment the ones who who came presumptuously to offer a sinful offering to the lord uh like the 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 the, the grace and the judgment of god are just all intertwined here because you don't trifle with god particularly his, his presence with his glory you don't you don't mess with god you don't play games with god you don't uh, come up with a a approach to god that makes sense to you and assume presume on God that He'll accept it, it has to be all on His terms. You don't you don't mess with Him, and and you, you can't uh, uh, rationalize it because it seems reasonable to you. You can't rationalize it because it seems reasonable to everyone else around you. Like this isn't a, a this isn't a democracy that we approach God the way we all vote would. Be majority rule be the best way to do it like it doesn't operate that way the sovereign of the universe says and that's the way it goes and he's gracious he'll he'll dwell among his people but you don't trifle with his presence and so they here they're just like snuffed out <coughs> god's reply to this is really blunt and really forceful here in verse number 3 then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. <laughs> all this is really, really important. No, they just got taken outside the camp um, in, their, in their coats. Um, so he says two things. I will be sanctified and that is among those who are near me. And then he says, I will be glorified, and that is a broader uh, before the people. So God here, he's concerned about what enters into his presence. You be careful about what comes near me. I will be sanctified among those who are near me. Treat me as holy. Regard me as holy. Um, You don't come before me with unconsecrated fire. Uh, You don't come before me doing things that I've not commanded you to do. You treat me as holy when you come near me. And then he's concerned about how he's portrayed. I will be glorified before the people. So how you treat me says something about me to everyone else, and you be careful about what that message is. I will be glorified before all the people. Don't treat me as common. Don't make me known as anything less than glorious. um and And Aaron holds his peace remember he, there's this there's sort of this two sides of the coin with god 's glory being with Israel that he he will be near his people, but in so doing he'll be magnified uh, even even among the nations, like who's the God over there among israel and there a strange fire contaminated both of them it It made it so that they were messing with what made it possible for God to be near them, and they were tampering with his glory among the people and and to extrapolate it further among among the nations and he says that can't happen i will be sanctified before those who are near me and before all the people i will be glorified and then aaron holds his peace which is really important because what is what would be the natural response right here he's just received this huge blow his son's just died okay and you might think like come on have a little sympathy for aaron But what's most important here? Like the glory of God so trumps everything else that he just, he shuts his mouth. Like that happened and it shouldn't have happened and I got nothing to say. And (laughs) yeah, and that was against God and it doesn't matter how much it personally hurt me. I still have nothing to say. I'm not the priority here. And so uh, Aaron just held his peace. Uh, and this is a, so, even with the tragedy of his own two sons dying, God's honor is dominating in importance. Aaron and his sons, they were not to mourn over this situation. Um, that, that also turns out to be a broader regulation for um, the, the high priests. Um, I think it's in Numbers, where they're told that when they have family members die, they weren't supposed to mourn over it. So, this becomes a, a broad regulation for the, the high priests to not participate in these funeral rituals. Um, but the people were, <coughs> um, verse number, uh, let your brothers, uh, verse number six, let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. Do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of, of Moses, So Aaron and his sons were not supposed to grieve this situation, but the people were. Um, and then in verses 8 and following, it's interesting because God focuses Aaron back on his priestly duties. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, "'Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons, with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations.'" You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. That this feels like that moment in the movie when the hero he's starting to wear thin he doesn't think he can do it anymore. Um, He can't follow through on the goals he's had the whole film. He's going to do this thing, but I can't. I don't think I'm going to make it. And the mentor character looks him in the eye and puts his hands on his face, and he's like, "Here's what you're supposed to do, (laughs) okay? Here's what you're supposed to do, okay. Uh, uh, Don't don't drink wine, strong drink when you enter the tent. Okay, be serious about worship here. Here's your job. You're the one who's supposed to be distinguishing between the holy and the common, and between the the unclean and the clean. You're the high priest, so you're at you're on point in, in demonstrating to the people these are the things that are set apart for God and these are the things that are not and you distinguish and it's your responsibility to teach the people all the statutes that the Lord has spoken. That's your job, Aaron. You, you are, are the man to communicate God's truth to the people and make sure they follow what I have commanded them to do. So eyes, eyes on the line, Aaron. It's a big deal to lose your sons, but here's your job. Teach them what I have commanded you to do. The story uh, goes on. There's a problem uh, with the peace offering, where they don't do the peace offering correctly uh, in the second half of the chapter, and then they don't eat the peace offering. And Moses is going, guys, what are you doing Not, not eating the peace offering you're supposed to eat? And Aaron's like, my son's just died. This wasn't operating correctly. Do you think God would have accepted it if I would have eaten it? Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not in the mood to mess with God, obviously, right now. And Mo's like, okay, we'll chill. That was an intense situation. <laughs> but we're, we're uh, moving on with what the priesthood's supposed to do. Um, anyway, this is, I, I appreciated that the, uh, the book we're working with kept these chapters all together. Because chapter ten is gotta go with the other ones, uh, because this is showing this priesthood and this tabernacle and all this. This is wonderful. They're doing what God commanded. God uh, approaches to their very midst, and His glory is among them. Great! Don't mess with it. <laughs> okay, so it's just this huge display of God's glory in this pretty intense uh, series of circumstances, and Do you remember what you said? probably days ago, or- prob- no. Did I say that? That's good. I think you said. No, it's 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 true. Those just came along a couple hundred years ago, but uh, yeah, it 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 just is reinforcing. Here is what God has provided for you to approach, and here's what happens when you do it wrong. And so uh, this this whole thing has to be according to God's terms. And then zoom way back, like big picture of what the law accomplished over the course of the centuries that they were supposed to be be following it, is they never attained the righteousness of the law. Like, here's what God requires. Long term, you guys don't do it. Over and over and over and over and over. Judges and invasions and plagues as punishment and and scattered and conquered and all this because they, they didn't fulfill it. So even the, the big picture of the law still has this this goal of pointing them to even though God's provided all of this, you still don't do it. You need some other higher righteousness <laughs> applied to you. You need something outside to just be given to you because you're not going to meet the righteous requirements of this law, even, even by means of all the gracious provision that God has provided. You're still not going to attain it. We need somebody who can do it, go paid, and then grant that to you just by, by His grace. The uh, <coughs> That's one of the things that the new covenant does is you have a heart problem, here's a new one. <laughs> so we can fix that really fundamentally, uh, not we can fix, so that fundamentally broken part of us can be fixed and we can approach God and, and walk before him. Let's close. God. Um, although we don't have a pillar of fire or cloud or fire on an altar um, showing us your manifest glory like that, uh, we want to be reminded that you are in our presence and uh, that we should treat you with reverence and awe. And uh, Lord, that requires you to, to strengthen our, our faith in what we know to be true of you, to really be in awe of it, um, to strengthen our faith moment by moment, because one moment we can really appreciate who you are and be wanting to submit to you, and the next moment we can forget and do our own thing. So we need you to establish that consistency for us. But uh God, fill us with that reverence and, and awe as we live our lives of worship toward you. And then help us to remember that uh we don't approach you on our terms. We've approached through the only way, and that is Jesus. And so help us not to forget that either. And to be bold to share that good news. uh, Because a lot of people are running around with either completely ignoring you or thinking that they have their own way to approach you. So may those of us who know the way be, be bold to share it as we have opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.